Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome. Wonderful to be with you this afternoon. And it's great to be back on IFM here after the Chagim, after the Chag of Shavuot, of Shavuot, which we just completed yesterday. And yes, of course, um, the accompaniment there in the background is disturbing and it's chilling and it's uh, not pleasant, but it's a reality. Sadly, um, what is going on in Israel at the moment, I think um, before the show, Craig sent me a message to say uh, that I want him to play regular music. Of course, uh, we're out of the Sphira period, so that was appropriate. He asked me if I wanted a song before we begin, as we usually do. And uh, I said, yes, I didn't expect that that song would be interspersed by no less than six sounds of those sirens, six sounds of sirens during a three-minute song um, or a three-and-a-half-minute song, I think I counted, um, is uh, something really, really scary and something really unacceptable. And uh, therefore, I think that today our learning, whatever we discuss today, will be dedicated to uh, Israel and to the people in Israel who are having to suffer really to us, it's just a sound that seems to interrupt a song or interrupt perhaps when we speak a little bit or uh, affect our ability to hear a coherent thought. But um, imagine what it's doing to the people in Israel. And then not only that, but of course, the uh, death, the destruction, the injuries that are being caused by those rockets um, that are wreaking havoc all over the place. And please, God, very, very soon we should be um, restored to our uh, previous state of quiet um, that uh, those should be silenced and please God our learning and uh, the merit of the learning and the telem and all the other things that people around the world are doing in honor of Israel, in honor of the people of Israel our brothers and sisters there who are living under these appalling conditions at the moment please God very very soon we will have the end to all of that and peace will truly prevail, a real shalom. As we prayed for and we thought about yesterday and the thought surely had to cross everybody's mind when we got the Birkat Kohanim on the two days of Shavuot that we end with that word shalom. Now shalom, of course, means shleimut, it means completeness. Um, anything else is not peace at all. It's um Actually, machloket, and if we think about the Hebrew words of machloket and shalom, they are the polar opposites. Machloikus means um, argument or a difference of opinion, and that is made up of the Hebrew word chelek. When you only have a part of the story, or when only a part of that piece has been accomplished, you're going to remain with um, niggling issues and problems and disagreements. When we have shalom, shleimut, there needs to be complete peace. And while, yes, we could be cynical and say that the only time peace will ever prevail there is when Mashiach will come, well then let Mashiach come and let it be quicker, speedily, um, absolutely now, immediately, because um, this um, um, difficulty and these problems and uh, this uh, uh, destruction and the hatred and everything that we see creeping out from around the world um, against Israel and the Jewish people everywhere is something that is not only totally unacceptable, um, but certainly not new. And hopefully the one thing we can actually do about it is to learn some Torah together, to discuss some things of Kedusha, of holiness, and hopefully bring 
new protective light into the world um, for all those in Israel, for Israel herself, and uh, please God, for all Jews everywhere. So today's uh, share, today's show, dedicated, of course, to Israel and her protection, and uh, please God, peace, real peace, shalom, should prevail very, very soon. To begin with, just as a reminder of the fact that anti-Semitism is nothing new, um, I wanted to tell you something that happened on this day in 1147. So we're going back now, of course, um, close on a thousand years ago, and a man by the name of Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbi Yaakov ben Meir Tam, he happened to have been one of the grandsons of the famed Rashi. Rashi, of course, the foremost commentator on the entire Torah, had a grandson called Rabbeinu Tam, he was known as, but his name was Rabbi Yaakov ben Meir. And he lived, unfortunately, during the time of the Crusades. The second crusade that took place in uh, the area where he lived, in a hometown of a place called Ramarupt, which is where he actually lived, this second crusade came into that town and decimated the town, massacred the town, on the second day of the Chag of Shavuot, second day Shavuot, in um, in the year 1147. Now, they happened to break into Rabbeinu Tam's house. They plundered everything they had there, and they seriously wounded him. He was um, attacked. He was uh, brutally assaulted and seriously wounded. But on the next day, which was today in 1147, the eighth day of Sivan, Rabbeinu Tam escaped from there and from the clutches of the Crusaders. And it was two years later that he actually completed, so he recovered, completed his famous treatise on Jewish ritual and ethics called Sefer HaYoshor. Um, this is attributed to this day to the 8th of Sivan. So it is about anti-Semitism. It is about attack. You've got to remember that while we are uh, thinking about the fact that the entire world um, has uh, ganged up against us, well, they ganged up against us before. And if we think about the Crusades, while in many circles they regarded as this triumphant march of, uh, in the name of God and godliness and so on, throughout all of Europe, getting rid of all paganism and idolatry and so on, um, unfortunately that was all the window dressing. There was nothing more than an attack on the Jewish communities and uh, the pogroms, the, pilgr- the, the pillaging, the uh, terrible, terrible atrocities that they um, inflicted upon the Jews of Europe was something absolutely astounding. And here we have it, 1147, Rabbi Tam, the great Rabbi Yaakov ben Meir Tam, escaped from the Crusaders um, on this day and um, went on to, of course, leave us a tremendous, tremendous legacy of Torah, Jewish ritual and ethics, Sefer HaYoshar, um, which um, is a classic and incredible work. So, when we think about this day, it is called Isru Chag. The day after Shavuot is called Isru Chag Shavuot. It is called kind of lassutu or latched onto or um, attached to. It is bonded to Shavuot. This day is bonded to Shavuot. It is not just that Shavuot has passed, but the day itself now is closely attached to it. So you might say, okay, every day after. So the day after Shabbos is attached to Shabbos. No, but we especially talk about Isru Chag. The day after Chag 
um, is kind of in the shadow of the uh, Chag, but it's attached to the Chag. There is something very special about today that, of course, has to have the uh, influence from the Chag of Shavuot. Now, you might say, okay, yes, of course there's an influence. I'm still feeling the effects of the cheesecake and the uh, cheese blintzes and the milk tarts and uh, the milchic foods that we had on Shavuot. And, of course, it causes you a little bit of a different feeling in your uh, stomach and so on. Maybe that's what it is. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the mainstays of the Chag, which were, of course, Torah learning, uh, Torah thought, Kabbalah Satorah, the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Of course, Today, the day after, is a day on which all of those things that we got, the injection that we received there, the tremendous spirituality that we ingested on that day, that today is the day that we begin the program of putting it all into practice. And isn't that actually what this day and the days lying ahead are truly all about? Now, I've mentioned here before on um, this program that um, Shavuot until Yom Kippur is exactly 120 days. If you take a look at the history of it all, when the Torah was given to us at Mount Sinai, Moshe went up the mountain the next day, he came back down, and the people were worshipping the golden calf. That was 40 days later. He was up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and when he came back down, he saw the people worshipping the golden calf. It was the 17th of Tammuz. So from Shavuot to the 17th of Tammuz, 40 days. He then spent 40 days appealing with God to forgive the people, making sure that the people did tshuva, and that was a 40-day period. And then he ascended the, the mountain once again on Rosh Chodesh Elul. So from 17th of Tammuz to Rosh Chodesh Elul is the first day of Elul is um, another 40 days. And then there was 40 days until he came down with the second set of tablets, the Torah that lasted, and that was on Yom Kippur. So we have 40 days up the mountain, 40 days of tshuva, and 40 days up the mountain for the second time. And so we have the 120 days from Shavuot to Yom Kippur, or 110 days to Rosh Hashanah. And so it's all about what we do with it, what we do with this Torah that we received yesterday, how we put it into practice, how we work with it, and how we truly make it have the great effect that it is meant to. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. It's not only good to get back to basics uh, and here on Judaism 101.9, but it's also good to get back to some really uh, vibey kind of music uh, that uh, we have been missing, I guess, over the period of Svira, and good to hear music again, and please God, the music should herald with it a return to joyous and happy and uh, uh, beautiful, uplifting times for uh, Israel and for the whole Jewish people all around the world. Now, and the day before yesterday when we read the Torah, and of course people were in shul um, to hear the reading of the Torah, the reading of the Aseret brought the Ten Commandments. There is a statement that is made in those uh, verses that we read, it says, "V'chol ha'am ro'im et ha'kolot ve'et ha'lapidim, ve'et kol ha'shofar ve'et ha'ar ashen v'yar ha'am v'yanu v'yamdu merachok." Exodus 20, verse 15, it says, "And all the people saw the sounds and the lightning, the voice of the horn and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they fell back and stood at a distance." There's something wrong with this sentence if we just take it literally. And that is, how do you see the sounds? They saw the sounds 
and the lightning. Fine, you can see the lightning, but you can't necessarily see the thunder or the other uh, noises. They saw, it says, the voice of the horn and the mountain smoking. You can see the mountain smoking, but how can you see the voice? And when the people saw it, they fell back and stood at a distance. So there's nothing there really about hearing. There's only there about seeing. And this causes a little bit of consternation or a bit of a debate between some of our great sages. Um, the great Rabbi Yishmoel, who we quote very often, even in our daily davening right at the beginning, we uh, say a whole uh, segment from Rabbi Yishmoel. Rabbi Yishmoel was a Kohen, Kohen Godel, <coughs> in the Beis Amidnash, in the temple. And um, he tells us, he says, his interpretation here is that the people saw what is usually seen and they heard what is usually heard. Seems to be very down to earth kind of an approach, very logical, very down to earth, very fitting for this kind of a story. But um, it is, you could argue, not exactly what the verse says, but we have to admit that it only there talks about seeing. It doesn't say anything about hearing. The uh, fire and they saw the smoke. They heard the sounds and they heard the noises of the chauffeur and so on. That's Rabbi Yishmael's interpretation. He is argued with, uh, there is a different opinion from the great and famous Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva of great saintly uh, fame. They actually saw the sounds and they heard the fire. In other words, they saw what is usually not seen. They saw what's usually heard. And they heard what is usually not heard. That came about in a way of absolute miraculousness. In other words, the hearing applied to the sights and the uh, seeing applied to the sounds. Exactly the opposite of what one would think of in the natural form. And it seems to be the opposite of what Rabbi Yishmael tells us. And what could this possibly mean and how is it that these two great sages have such a vastly different opinion on the interpretation of this verse? When we read it, we could interpret it perhaps anyway. I suppose generally when one just uh, flips through it, being that we are, let's call it, call it down-to-earth people, we would say, of course it means, it doesn't mean that they saw sounds, it means that they saw the they saw the whole tumult. They saw what was going on there, but they heard the sounds, obviously, and they saw the the, uh, the fire, and they saw the lightning, and they saw that, and then whatever. But it's just kind of paraphrased here in a nice, easy way. It talks about the fact that they saw the sounds. But I guess we could ask, and we have to say, that there needs to be some kind of a deeper interpretation, because otherwise Torah would have said that. Torah is very exact in the way that it expresses itself. If it says that they saw the sounds, surely that is actually what it means. Rabbi Akiva adopts that view. Rabbi Ishmael says, no, they saw what is normally seen and they heard what is normally heard. Simple. Now, why and how do these great sages have this so completely different? And perhaps are they arguing at all? Or do they just have a slightly different perspective on this all? Well, let's suggest what Rabbi Akiva was saying, what Rabbi Akiva was telling us. And remember, Rabbi Akiva came from a family of 
converts to Judaism and he started learning very, very late in life. And he was, if we think about it, the classic case of the Baal Tshuva. He had returned to Judaism. He came back to Torah learning. He didn't always have it. He started studying when he was 40 years old. To him, the whole thing of Torah and the Torah being given was something that was, in inverted commas, mind-blowing. It was uh, miraculous. It was incredibly powerful and something completely out of the ordinary. And Rabbi Akiva is telling us that we've got to understand that what happened at Mount Sinai, in his opinion, based on his background perhaps, what in his opinion happened at Mount Sinai was that everything changed. Our values changed. Our perceptions changed. And what came into the world at that time was a complete transformation. Suddenly holiness enthused everything. And therefore it was possible at that stage that even our senses were altered to the extent that things that are ordinarily seen could now be heard and things that were ordinary, ordinarily heard could now be seen. There was this fundamental change that happened to each and every individual everywhere. The whole world changed fundamentally. And that perhaps is the view of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is telling us that that's what Torah did. We received the Torah at Mount Sinai. And yes, we celebrated it on Shavuot. <coughs> but we've got to understand that unless we understand the change that Torah brought to the world, we will never really understand the change that Torah is supposed to bring to our lives. We need to integrate it into our lives in such a way that our lives cannot be the same before and after the Torah was given. We can't be carrying on the same before and after Shavuot where we re relived uh, the giving of the Torah. This is something where there is this huge altering of everything. Our value system that was before, no, now it's completely different. What was precious to us the day before yesterday is not as precious anymore as the Torah, the gems, the jewels, the gold, the diamonds that is within Torah, much more valuable than anything else that you could possibly think of. This is the view of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yishmoel, being that he was always inside the Beit HaMikdash in the temple, perhaps he was surrounded all the time, as he was, of course, and influenced by the miracles that he saw on a regular basis. To him, miracles were ordinary. To him, the fact that he was living a life within the Beit HaMikdash, within the temple, and that he entered into holy, holy spaces where there were miraculous things like the uh, menorah candles all burning towards the center, like the Oren, the Ark in the Kodesh HaKadosh, in the Holy of Holies, not occupying any space, like the fact that um, flies were never seen in the Beit HaMikdash, even though there was so much slaughtering and blood and so on that uh, went on there. It was incredible that all of this and of course, I mean the blood of animals. That all of this was um, was was miraculous all the time. To him, that wasn't where the beauty and the miracle of Torah lay. But what Rabbi Ishmael was perhaps telling us was that what we have to do is not be looking all the time for the miraculous, not be thinking that we've got to see the sounds and hear the sights, but rather that. Everything has to be in a natural fashion. The whole purpose of the giving of the Torah was to take the natural, physical, material world and make it into something special. And that's not that we take 
everything that we have and elevate it through some kind of uh, uh, spiritual uh, hocus pocus, God forbid, but that in fact we actually utilize everything in the material world in a normal physical fashion. By putting a coin into a charity box, we are changing worlds. We're doing great and wonderful things. But that doesn't mean that necessarily our senses are changed. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the uh, the uh, physical world has become something wondrous, uh, wondrously miraculous. But that within nature, there is the miracle of nature as well. This perhaps is what Rabbi Ishmael is suggesting to us. Now, whichever way you look at it, therefore... Rabbi Yishmol and Rabbi Akiva are not really having an argument at all. What they are telling us um, with a unanimity is that the Torah has to have an influence on our lives. Our Torah is not just something that we received and then we put on the shelf and we park it there and we'll revisit it in a year from now or at some later stage of our lives. It is something that has to make a fundamental change in everything that happens in our lives, whether we want to look at it as being miraculous or whether we we know that it's really, really down-to-earth kind of stuff. The Torah has to have its role and its influence on us when we are at work. It has to have its role and its influence on us when we are at home. It has to have its influence and its uh, relevance to us and its life-changing um, uh, effect when we are um, in our kitchens and when we are in our dining room. And even, yes, when we're in our bedrooms. And yes, even when we are out in the garden and doing what we do to relax, whatever. Every single moment of our lives, there has to be a Torah influence on it. And this then is really the bottom line, so to speak, of what Isru Chag Shavuot perhaps is really all about. The giving of the Torah, the Zman Matan Torah the time when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, that was all incredibly powerful, incredibly important, important and great. But the day after, has your life changed? Are you going to take what you learned and what you thought about and what you pledged and what you promised and what we stood at around Mount Sinai saying, that we will do it and we'll learn it and so on. Are we going to do that? And how are we going to put it all into practice on a regular basis? And there is only one answer. We've got to come to today. And from today onwards, and hopefully building up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, as we mentioned, not that long off. And then from then on, thereafter as well, making a firm resolution that everything in our lives will be impacted by the Torah, the Torah learning, the Torah's instructions, the way that we are supposed to behave as Jews in public, the way we're supposed to behave as Jews in private, the way we're supposed to conduct business, the way we're supposed to deal with our fellow men, the way we're supposed to be charitable and the way we're supposed to um, speak to our employees or our employers. This is the impact that Torah has to have on us in every realm of life. And then perhaps we have got, gotten the message. We uh, received the message loud and clear from the giving of the Torah yesterday, the day before, with the festival of Shavuot and uh, everything that it celebrates. Look forward to being back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. One of the things that we instituted uh, a few weeks ago was to start going through Pirkei Avot, Pirkei Avos, um, as we do 
um, um, as we have been doing since Pesach, between Pesach and Shavuot, on the six weeks, uh, the six Shabbos that there are, Shabbos afternoon, we learn a Perik, we learn a chapter of Pirkei Avot, of the Ethics of Our Fathers, um, every Shabbos afternoon, between Pesach and Shavuot, and many who continue it from Shavuot, from now right the way through until Rosh Hashanah. And of course, as we explained then, it follows the pattern of Nefesh. We start the second cycle on this Shabbos, which is Parshas Nosoi, the Nun of Nefesh. The second uh, cycle will start on Parshas Pinchas, and the third one on Parshas Shoftim. In the build-up to Rosh Hashanah, so it's another way of looking at uh, the amount of time that we have between uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's three cycles, although the third one is always shortened um, into three and sometimes uh, four weeks of um, Pirkei Ovis of the Ethics of Our Fathers. Now, <coughs> excuse me, here we go on round number two. So we're going to look again at Peter Krishan at the first chapter, and let's look today at the second Mishnah very briefly, which actually follows the same theme that we've been talking about. It was Shimon HaTzadik, Shimon HaTzadik. It says, Haya Mishyorei Knesses Hagdola. He was from the last survivors of the men of the Great Assembly. We did mention them before. The men of the Great Assembly were uh, the uh, people who received the Torah in the line of receiving the Torah, uh, the oral law from Moshe, who handed it to Yeshua, Yeshua, to the uh, to the Zakanim, the Zakanim, the Nevi'im, and then the Nevi'im handed it to the Anshe Knesset Zagadola. Shimon Atzadik was one of the last remaining men of the Great Assembly. So remember that he's living at a time where kind of the structures, the formalities of Judaism and the governance of it all um, seems to have been uh, falling uh, into um, oblivion. It was uh, not going to be anymore. And here he was perhaps needing to put forward exactly what he felt was going to be the only way that Judaism would survive in the future. And he says, he used to say, now whenever it says he used to say, it comes up a, a lot in Pirkei and the ethics of our fathers, he used to say, means that this was like a major motto. It was something that he stood by, that he stood for. And he said, He spoke about the world standing like on a tripod. And this tripod, of course, cannot stand if one of the legs is non-existent. And what does he tell us? What is the tripod that keeps our world afloat, that keeps the world going, that keeps and we'll keep Judaism going and we'll keep the whole world going because we believe that the whole world is kept going by Torah. So he says it's not only Torah. He says, Al HaTorah, it stands on Torah. Va'al HaAvodah, and it stands on not work only, Avodah, but divine worship, our um, godly worship, our davening, our prayers, which replace the Avodah, the service in the Besam English, our services, in other words, Ala Torah, Va'al Ha'avodah, Va'al Gemilus Chasodim, and on acts of loving kindness. Three things that the world stands on. In other words, you can't just have Torah. Torah has to lead to Avodah. Torah has to be contemplated, thought about, and put into practice in our re- vertical relationship, our relationship with the Almighty, drawing down godliness into this world, eliciting God's blessings upon ourselves and the people around us. This is an essential ingredient, an essential part of the sus- sustenance of the entire world, of its sustainability. Is not just Torah alone, but we need that Avodah, we need that prayer. And prayer being the mechanism through which 
godliness is brought into this world, it is essential. We must not, and we may not dispense with it and give it up so easily. And then, of course, putting everything that we've learned into practice by making sure that we do kindnesses to all people around us, to everybody. Those, ex- those extensions of kindness not only benefit the recipients, but they benefit the giver as well. And we actually, in that way, one act at a time can improve, can change this world to be a much better place. So three essential ingredients, the tripod on which the world stands, Torah, Avodah, Gemilus Chasadim, without any one of them, Certainly without all of them, the world cannot exist. Without any one of them, the world is going to come falling down. Let's make sure we institute them correctly into our lives. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Of course, getting back to basics here in Judaism 101.9, it's my honor to present to you and to be with you today. And we were quoting from the second Mishnah in the first chapter of Pirke Ovis, which is in the name of Shimon Atzadik, who says, The world stands on three things. We celebrated on Shavuot Torah, the idea of the Torah being given to us. Wonderful. Now we've got to study it. And once we study it, we need to make sure that we use it and we have it to help improve our relationship with the Almighty. And by so doing, of course, help to improve our relationship with our fellow men. None of these three things, not Torah, not Avodah, not Gemilis Hasadim, are, in inverted commas, dispensable, disposable in any way. There are many people who believe, you know, I do a tremendous amount of Torah learning, and therefore I'm completely exempt, in a way, from everything else. I can daven in two minutes flat, and I can perhaps drop a coin or two into a charity box, and... Um, <coughs> By so doing, I've done my job. I've, uh, I'm a Torah scholar of note. Or perhaps, you know, I love to pray. I love to spend time singing in shul and uh, involved in the davening and the prayers and so on. But Torah learning is really not my speed. I'm not up to it. I don't have the intellectual capacity. And, of course, being out there with people, will people actually possibly even irritate me to a point and uh, therefore not really for me. Or there could be those who say, you know what, I'm such a Baltstocker, I'm such a tremendous giver and shower of kindness and I do such wonderful things for other others in the community and so on. I actually don't have time to go to shul and I actually don't have time and it doesn't really interest me um, to get involved in Torah learning. Says Rabbi Shimon Atzadik. If we want Judaism to continue, and if we want to know what the method is that God has laid out for us and our sages have laid out for us as Jews, we've got to understand that Torah is a one leg of the tripod. Avodah, our prayer, is another. And Gemilis Chasodim, acts of kindness, is another. With any one of them uh, missing, the world is going to come tumbling down. Things cannot continue and they cannot exist properly and clearly and effectively. We've got to be uh, present for our prayers. We've got to be present for our Torah learning. And we've certainly got to be present for our Gemilus Chassadim, for acts of kindness, for acts of charity and kindness that is done, as we said, benefiting all parties, the giver and the recipient, every single person benefits from these acts of goodness and kindness. And we hope and pray that very, very soon 
we will see the end to all hatred and hostility and pandemics um, around the entire world and protection for Israel in its hour of need and for our brothers and sisters there as well to whom today's learning was dedicated. We hope and pray that very, very soon the world will stand firmly on the tripods of Torah, Avoda and Gemilis Chasodim, firm, stable, um, sustainable and completely peaceful with Shalom and with the ultimate bracha of the coming of Mashiach now. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbos up ahead. Look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.